This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 68 with Kim Addis. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Kim Addis is the president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching and Journal Engine Software. Author, speaker, entrepreneur, coach, and mother of five, Kim is recognized as one of North America's foremost experts on performance through thought mastery. By using her unique process of integrating online journaling in her coaching, Kim helps highly driven clients to examine and shift their thinking in order to yield extraordinary results. I was delighted to do this interview because mostly I wanted to be nosy about a family of five. So Kim's family is a blended family. I was also very intrigued by that. There's five children between her and her husband. They all live together full time. She and her husband married eight years ago. At that time, the children were ages nine to 14. Holy cow. Just marrying into a household of five preteens and teenagers. Like I could have done a whole interview just on that, but we talked quite a bit about that in this episode. We also talked about Kim's unique process in coaching and journaling, which I found really fascinating. And it was so interesting to see how she uses journaling to make connections with her clients and get really, really transformational and powerful results in a short amount of time. So often in like just as much as or as little as 10 weeks, Kim is able to really help people start transforming their lives in a unique and dramatic way with her process. So you're going to want to hear about that. We talk a lot about family stuff. Initially, we talk about the significance of traveling as one unit, no matter what the size of your family. We talk about the power of building new traditions, 
like things like hot dog stuffed turkey. And we talk about the importance of a family meeting and the specific format that Kim recommends, which I really liked. So you'll want to take notes on that. We talked about the difference between parenting and childing. And Kim also told us the truth about parenthood and how it's really all about self-management. And then we went on to talk about coaching and the specific and unique formula Kim uses to coach her clients through major life breakthroughs and the significance of the journaling practice that she uses. And then we also talk about stories and the significance of the stories you have lived through and survived and the importance, the huge importance of going back and examining those stories and retelling yourself those stories in a new way. So, so much really great, really helpful and powerful information today. So hang on and let's dive in with Kim Addis. Kim Addis, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm pretty excited to have this conversation with you. I'm excited too. And mostly because I'm in awe of anyone who has five children. So I'm I'm excited to talk about your professional stuff. We also, I want to dive into that a little bit too. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about the dynamics of your personal and professional life? Well, I am remarried. So I have a blended family. My husband had three kids when I met him and I had two and we all live together full time permanently. Now the kids are older. And so they're starting to, you know, go off on their own. One is in university. One has a full-time job and moved out. But over the past eight years, we've been together and it's been very interesting. A lot of people call it the Brady Bunch. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, having your own kids is a challenge. Having a blended family brings in a few more interesting dynamics, different personalities, different values, different upbringings, different expectations. And you have to somehow find a way to all get on the same page and live a life and a lifestyle that is conducive to everyone's thriving. So that's what we've done. I actually have two friends going through blending families in the last year. And it has been a huge challenge for them. And like, they're loving it, but it's just been a lot more than they expected. So I really admire anyone who goes through that because I think that the end result can be amazing. But I know it takes a lot of work. Well, if I can give a few kind of practical pieces of advice on that one, oh, yeah. there are a few things that we did that I did that my husband did. And, you know, at the time, some of it didn't really make sense. Looking back, it was kind of brilliant. One of the things my husband did was he said, we travel together always. We're a family and we go places together. And I thought, nice. you know what? We're a lot of people. We're seven people shoved up in one car. You know, why can't we just take two cars? Why can't we just meet you there? And he insisted. And I thought, you know what? At the time, I'm like, the guys, <laughs> you know, why? I fought him. But what that did was it really forced us into a confined space. Yeah. And in that confined space, you're called a family, a single family. Even if it was to drive 15 minutes to go to his mother's house for dinner, we go together, we travel together, we're a family driving to Montreal. I live in Toronto. So that's a five hour drive. But the drives were really, really important. The other thing that became very important and is still very important to this day is to create traditions that don't come from one family or the other, but that come from the new combination of the family. So one thing we do is we celebrate family day. A couple of years ago, we went downtown and made sandwiches and packed up lunches for the homeless. You know, we just do things every year. We're again in Canada, we had turkey dinner because it was Thanksgiving. And the tradition is to stuff the turkey with hot dogs. But nobody (laughs) does that. 
So when we create traditions, my son actually, who's now 20, my son, the one I gave birth to, said to me, these are the kinds of dinners we should have more often. And so when you create these traditions that are not necessarily religious or anything, but that they're family, they define the family, that really helps keep people together. I love that. I agree with all of that. And I think that's so brilliant. And so and like you said, you didn't totally plan it from the beginning. But when as it fell into place, you could see the magic of it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. What was the age range of the children when you guys got married? Uh, So let's look back now. My youngest was nine. And his oldest at the time was 14. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So a tight range. (laughs) tight range. So now my daughter's 17. Okay. And his oldest is 22. Okay. Wow. That I would imagine is very powerful to have siblings all that close in age. But I would imagine there's some some conflicts that (laughs) come with all those teenagers in the house. Yeah, at the beginning, I'll tell you, I thought I was, again, being smart. And I said, you know what, we're going to have a family meeting. And by the way, family meetings are a great idea, but you have to run them properly, I guess. I said, here, we're going to have a talking stick. And I'm like, oh, I'm very evolved right in my (laughs) mind. And whoever has the stick gets to talk. And I'll tell you, honestly, it was like one of the earliest kind of altogether conversations we had and my body was super tense. I was kind of like really nervous about this conversation because when at some point one person had the stick and started saying, I don't like it when you do whatever. I don't even remember. I'm like, oh man, this is not where this was supposed to go. This wasn't supposed to be a complaining session. This wasn't the, you know, I remember after that whole meeting, I said to my husband, we're never doing that again. (laughs) And, but what's very interesting is that a couple of the kids, I remember that meeting. I loved it. That's so great. Yeah. Wow. You have to go through those uncomfortable like trial and error things and then take like the good pieces as you move forward and build from there for sure. That's right. And there probably right. was a lot of like comfort in the security of their like of you guys putting some parameters around things. I'm sure that even though they might have been somewhat resistant just because of the nature of teenagers, <laughs> there was probably also well, some comfort in that. Yeah, I think that they liked the idea of having a family meeting. And right. of course, some were more comfortable and others were less comfortable with the plan. Right. But I just remember my own feeling was I was nervous because I didn't know what was going to unfold or how right. it was going to unfold. But if you, you know, if anybody who's listening has a family and it's not necessarily a blended family, but the earlier you can implement family meetings, the better it will be, where you really create a structure for those meetings and establish a directive, not rules, but a directive. Here's what happens in these meetings. Oh, that's such a great suggestion. I'm going to implement family meetings with my four-year-old. <laughs> yeah, totally. Do it right well, away. Well, and I, th- I mean, I think when you start really young like that, it's Yeah, I mean, obviously, it would be so different than what you would have with teenagers. But it also it gives kids I've talked to someone else about this recently, and I can't remember who it was, but giving kids like that platform to have some power and some say in how things work rather than it just always being the mom and the dad being like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. Right. (laughs) So that makes a lot of sense. You know what, you can ask three or four questions, you know, what's working? What would you like to see different? You know, and what's a request that you have? That's it. You know, it doesn't have to be a complaint session, but it can be really constructive. 
Right. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And that's a great framework. So in conjunction with that, then professionally, I know you have more than one career in your history of working. So tell us about your professional history, because from reading your bio, it sounds like you've merged or transitioned from one thing to another. And I'm very curious how that played and evolved with the evolution of your family. Well, historically, I mean, you could call me a serial entrepreneur when I was 20. I started a balloon business. But I'll give you the more recent history is that before this company, before the coaching company, I used to own a software company with my ex-husband. And we used to build simulation-based assessments. And the purpose of those assessments was to help companies make better hiring decisions. Now, one of the things that we discovered, because we tested hundreds of thousands of people as a result of building these assessments, was that no matter what the job was, no matter what the industry was, that there was one particular indicator of top performance that stood out over and above everything else. And that was if a person had a higher degree of emotional resilience, they would be more likely to succeed than other people. So that's a very important piece of my puzzle. And so if we've kind of fast forward, really frame of mind coaching is built on the premise of helping people establish and strengthen their emotional resilience. Okay, that makes sense. And that's cool. I love how you found that in one area, and then pulled it into a whole new career. Right, (laughs) which is really, really cool. So go ahead and talk to us a little bit about how you got into coaching, like what prompted that transition? And what do you love most about being a coach? Well, after I sold my shares of my last business, I was recruited by a coaching company to come and work for them, a local coaching company. And I thought that that would be a really great fit for me. I was asked to be their VP of marketing. My strength in the olden days was really networking and understanding the lay of the land from a promotional sales marketing perspective. Let's call it that. And so when I went into the company, I also learned about coaching and I learned about how traditional coaching is done. And it's really about accountability, creating plans, helping people reach their goals by helping them take incremental steps towards their goals. And something about that rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> <It> just, <laughs> Right. I'm like, okay, I get it. I understand it. I know where you're going with this, but I don't want to have to answer to anybody. And if I were a coach, I wouldn't want anybody to have to answer to me. And besides, who am I that you should be accountable to me if I were a coach? (laughs) Right. So, and I kind of felt like based on my background and my knowledge and the research we had done, I thought, you know what? People know what to do, generally speaking. They're just not doing it. So, if you take, for example, weight loss as an example, A lot of people know what they're supposed to do in order to lose weight. It's not really rocket science. There's, you know, basically burn more than you consume. That's the formula. Except that people struggle to implement it. And the question is why? And I will say to you that it has to do with their thinking. It has to do with their emotional resilience. It has to do with their mental wiring. It has to do with the way that they perceive that task. And so... I said, you know what, I bet you that I coach differently and be more effective. And that's where Frame of Mind Coaching was born. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they're specifically designed to combat 
chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. And so I created this concept where I said, you know what, if I could get into the hearts and minds of my clients and really understand their thinking, understand their patterns, their values, their beliefs, and really see how they operate under different circumstances over time, then I'll have a super powerful experience because I'll be able to help my clients shift their thinking in their own environment, right? And so from the get-go, I started off by asking my clients to journal in an online journal every single day. So when now when I coach people, there's a call once a week, every call is recorded. And I ask my clients to listen to their recordings so that they can hear how they sound, how they show up, how they present, how they think, how they view the world, the stories they tell. And they're really starting to get a sense of self-observation. Yeah, that's powerful. Listen to yourself (laughs) and and not easy. Right. And then they journal every day. And when they journal, their journal comes back to their coach who reads and responds to the journal. So I have a team of coaches. It's not just me. So at the beginning of the week, they get a journaling question or a prompt. 
and then they journal. And then there's this dialogue that happens back and forth, back and forth every single day between the coach and the client. It's very intense. And so the coach really gets to know their client. And I feel that that's really important for clients. A lot of coaches, I don't feel know their clients well enough to provide powerful coaching. Yeah. Well, and I think also when, you know, in in many cases with a coach or a therapist, you're in a situation where it's like a weekly or every other week meeting. And then you meet for 45 minutes or an hour or whatever. And there's like a lot of ground to cover in not very much time. And so that idea of that daily contact is really, I'm sure, just makes such a difference in how in the progress of the work and the power of the progress of the work. It's unbelievable. Because from my perspective, it's the intimacy that exists between the coach and the client, that is the game changer. So tell us with your family, do you use coaching or has your coaching impacted the evolution of your family? As your family has evolved, and it sounds like your career has evolved kind of side by side with your family. So do you coach your family? Or do you keep them kind of separate? I don't coach them like, you know, I don't make them journal. And you know, like, I don't do all that. But certainly the philosophy blends, right? It starts to bleed into the family and they pick it up and they kind of become aware of it and employ it, whether they're aware of it or not. I was going to say, are they open to it or does it have to be, or is it kind of like subtle suggestion on your part when you're trying to empower a situation or, you know, help assist toward a certain goal? Well, sometimes it's obvious, like, you know, I just say straight up, you know, here's how you're thinking. And that thinking isn't leading you to the goals that you want. So, you know, it's very black and white. It's very clear. Or I say, here's what I would tell my clients or something like that. Other times, it's more, I think there's a huge, huge value in modeling behavior, huge, massive. And so when you're struggling with something, I think there's value in sharing that with your kids. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that I see even with my four-year-old, like he is now wanting to come in. I work out every morning in the six o'clock hour and he'll often want to come in and do stuff with me. And I see how he thinks it's like super fun and exciting. But if I were to be like, hey, let's come downstairs and we're gonna have family exercise time, he would be like, no, I want to go play Legos. And same thing with my husband. It took us, we were together for nine years before he started extra. So I have a gym owner here in Seattle. So I have a background okay. in fitness and personal training. It took my husband nine years of us being together before he started exercising. And I was like, it can never be my idea. Like I can never suggest like, maybe you should exercise. Maybe you'd enjoy it. Maybe you'd feel better. Maybe you would carry less stress. And then he started on his own in preparation for an, a fundraiser run for some friends of ours. And it was like, totally life-changing for him. And right. I was just like the whole time, like, thank you so much. Like, can I please get a little credit here? So, but it was just yeah. like, he saw how it had impacted me, but it had to be his idea for him to do it that for himself. And now he can't right. stop. So There you go. And to me, what's the most remarkable is, again, I have five kids. My youngest is my daughter. The rest are all boys. Okay. So my daughter will come to me and say, mom, you know, she'll coach me. you know she'll catch me kind of heading down the wrong road or yeah I'm human I make mistakes right love it but she'll catch me and she'll say you know like that's really not consistent or mom why are you doing that or 
why are you being negative about this? Hey, you know, sometimes that happens. Yeah. Oh, that's so right. funny. Yeah. I was watching on your website and I'm going to make sure that I link up to your website and any other links that we talk about here. We'll, I'll link to in our show notes over at shamelessmom.com. But you mentioned in your video on your website that everything in your life right now is a function of the way you think. So yeah. I want you to elaborate on that because I think it's brilliant and so true. Everything, everything, absolutely everything that you experience, see, smell, everything, every interaction you have, every experience you have, every win, every loss, everything is a reflection of your thinking. So events are just events and they become meaningful or not meaningful to you based on the way that you process what's happening, right? Yes. So everything is a function of your thinking. I'll give you a little tiny example. We have a client and, you know, I'll try to be a little bit vague just to protect identity, right? And she wrote in her journal that her son, he's about nine years old, her son and her were getting ready to go out for dinner to visit some friends. And uh, he started to whine and she gave him two warnings and then he continued and then she kind of laid down the law and said, you're not coming. And she brought him back in the house to be with his dad, who was supposed to spend the night at home working. And the dad got upset. And a few minutes later, brought him right back out to the car (laughs) and said, you're going with mom. And so there was an issue between mom and dad. And then in the car, obviously, there was an issue with mom and the kid who said, you're not playing. You're just going to sit there and eat. And, (laughs) And, you know, why are you behaving like this? And look what you've created, et cetera. And so my question was, so what did this child do to warrant such a threat and such a warning? Right. And here's what he did is he didn't want to wear the shoes that she wanted him to wear. Oh my gosh. And so she said, you go get those shoes on right now or else you're not coming. And he refused to get on the shoes. And I thought to myself, like, this is really, really interesting because as parents, what do we want for our children? We want them to grow up to be independent, to make great decisions, to be kind, to be well-adjusted, to do what they love, to be happy, to thrive, you know, to have great judgment. And we have a situation, and this is not uncommon, right, where parents feel like they need to make decisions for their kids, like what to wear, when to eat, how to eat, on and on and on. The list goes on and on and on. And parents tell their children what to do, of course, all for good intentions. But what we do when we do that is we remove the ability from the child to actually learn to make great decisions. We don't do that. Right. And so we circumvent the very thing that we want. So going back to your question, she's the creator of her world. She is the creator of her world with her thinking. She believes that kids need to listen to their parents. And when they don't, it's an indicator of disrespect or insolence or bad behavior or whatever you want to call it. Right. Right. And so go ahead. The way she thinks about that creates her experience, which is just because of a pair of shoes. Now she's fighting with the world. Right. Right. And so we have a lot of options, but before we take a different action, we have to think about it differently. Unfortunately, though, she's not aware of her thinking. She's not aware of how she's processing this event. She's not aware of her beliefs. She has no clue. She just thinks she's right. Her husband didn't support her and her son was misbehaving. And there I am at odds with the world. But if we could help people become aware of their thinking and their beliefs, then Now she has control to play it out any which way she wants. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, totally. And we all get trapped in the same thing. We do. Well, and I mean, that's such a perfect example in parenting, how we get trapped. I mean, everything you said about 
like wanting to encourage our children to be independent and make their own decisions and all that. Like we get so caught up in like a moment. And I know I find myself doing this when I'm trying to get my son out the door, like every morning where I'm like, just do it, just get out the door. (laughs) And a lot of his process is like trying to decide on a shirt and trying to decide on a cape. Like he always wants a cape or a hat or something. And I'm like, can we just leave? (laughs) Right. So yeah, no, that so makes sense. And I think that a lot of times we have things or at least I find myself that I'm always like looking two steps ahead. So, you know, I'm, I'm imagining this mom in the example you gave is thinking like, well, we need to get to the restaurant. We need to do this because we need to get home by this time for bedtime and blah, blah, blah. And I find like, that's how I am in parenting where I'm always trying to think like three steps ahead. And I have to catch myself to stay in the moment to be like, mm-hmm. Oh wait, like here's an opportunity for my child. Like you said, to like go do something independent, make his own choice where I can cultivate, you know, something that's significant in his upbringing. If I can just step back from being so tied to everything happening in a really systematic way on a very specific schedule and all those kinds of things. And that's like, I feel like the biggest challenge for me in parenting at times. And then I take him to school and in his classroom, they're just like endless amounts of time to like be creative and play. And right. I'm like, Oh my gosh, at home, I'm just like, now we have to do this. Now we have to do this. Now we have like, it's, right. it's so different. So, yeah. That makes schedule, sense. schedule, schedule, right. right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit constricting over yes. time. Yes. Right. Yeah. And here's the thing. And again, like, you know, there may be something else at play. Why was it so important for her that he wear those shoes? Right. Maybe because if she wanted her child to look a certain way, right. you know, so she was in a way seeking approval from her friends. Right. So there are lots and lots of layers to this, but there I will are. say this, I will say this. So I coach super highly driven women and men who are movers and shakers and making massive differences in the world and parenting often comes up. So the key here is that parenting is really, really about self-management when a child is being who they are, you know, figuring things out and behaving sometimes in ways that aren't exactly aligned with how you want them to behave. Parenting is about the parent. It's not about the child. If it were really about the child, it would be called childing, not parenting. (laughs) Yes. Excellent point. I think that's something that we can all remind ourselves over and over on a daily basis. (laughs) And I always, I always feel like these are things with, you know, as my son has been a lot of, I feel like parenting things really started, you know, when he was three and it was more than just like caretaking as it was in his infancy and toddlerhood. And I feel like so much of this as he's in three and four, I'm like feeling much more responsible for how I parent and how that will impact him. And I, it feels so important and significant, but I talk to people who have teenagers and it's like, we're all in the exact same place, whether your kid is four or your kid is 14, like the take home message is the same thing, which makes me realize I do have a long journey ahead of me you know, we have a lot of time to work on this and evolve this and make it better and perfect it over time. Not that it will ever be perfect. So, so. yeah, it won't ever be perfect. But here's the thing is honestly, parenting is about you. It's about your reactions to your kids as they are exploring the world. That's what it is. You know, when they are pushing your buttons, they're exploring the world. (laughs) When they are (laughs) refusing to do things, they're exploring the world. They're exploring who they are in the world. And when we get mad, we're saying, basically, you're not allowed to explore the world in the way you want to. You've got to do it my way. Right. You know, and that message isn't necessarily the message we want to be delivering. Right. The message is that, you know, really what we want to be doing is so showing, demonstrating personal management. And that's what we want to pass along to our children. And so when your kids are pushing your button, I urge you to just take a break. Like just, you know, don't get into the ring and battle with your kids. You don't need to do that. 
Are you able to follow this advice when you are in the heat of it with five teenagers in your house? <laughs> Often, yes. Often, nice. yes. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I, had, I actually had an incident just the other day. Again, I'll share. We're painting and recarpeting and doing all kinds of things. And my husband's working his butt off, you know, moving things and furniture, et cetera, et cetera. And we're supposed to leave like a three foot distance from the wall to the furniture so that the painters can paint. And so again, he's been working his butt off. And I walked into my daughter's room and I noticed one spot in particular that was maybe a foot away rather than three feet away. And I said, you know, I don't think the painter's going to be able to get in here. And my daughter said, you know, my husband's name is Alan. You're being very negative. All you're doing is noticing the things that he's doing wrong and you don't appreciate him. And she went on a bit of a rant and I was like, wow, (laughs) like, wow. Right. Uh, but all I did was I listened, I heard what she had to say and then I walked away. Like I just walked away to process it. Right. Right. And I don't think parents take enough time to process. Yeah. And the processing was, you know, multi-layered. One is, yeah, she's probably right. I could be a little more positive. But layer two is maybe there's a different way to tell me that. <laughs> and layer three is, you know, was something going on for her that I wasn't really tuning into. Yeah. So three layers. But if I had counterattacked and said, stay out of it, I'm not talking to you. Don't be disrespectful, blah, blah, blah. The outcome, which was a real conversation, would right. not have happened. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Right. So sometimes you just need to take a breather. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hard. <laughs> it's hard to not right. be reactive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, though. So let's dive into a little bit. You've started to touch on this in a couple different ways. But how do you walk with people through adversity? And it sounds like it's through your journaling format. And it sounds like it's with you know the conversations that you have with people. But the way that you coach people, it sounds pretty intensive compared to some of the other traditional coaching yeah. styles. And so tell us a little bit how, you know, if someone were to come with you with a significant, say, like, considering divorce or having just gone through like a major life transition, how do you walk with people through those times? So if they're coming with a historical adversity, here's what happened to me in my past. And I've had lots and lots of those. What we do is we replay those events. So what happened? Tell me the story of what happened. And what we notice is that their interpretation of what happened or their beliefs of what happened are often really self-abusive, you could say. And they create a lot of current self-doubt, a lot of fear, a lot of paralysis. And what I do is I help them revisit their past with a different lens or a different interpretation so that they can tell a different story of those events. I'll give you an example. So I was working with an executive of a software firm. And at one point in the cycle, he had to go and raise his prices with one of his clients. And he did it in a way that caused them to get very upset and just back out of all, they pulled away all their business, which severely threatened the company and caused them to, you know, be on the, you know, strings of, they barely stayed alive. And he blamed himself for years and years and years, he didn't get over that incident about how poorly he managed it, etc. And so what I did was I, I helped him replay it and helped him understand his thinking at the time and helped him understand why he did what he did, where it was coming from, why he took that approach, why perhaps another approach might be valuable in the future, but really understand the primary value that was stepping in into the game, which was he really wanted to preserve his company and he really cared about his staff. And so he was going to do whatever it took to keep his staff together. 
Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. And that meant, you know, approaching a client in a way that wasn't necessarily ideal. And so when he understood where he was coming from and understood that it wasn't from a bad, malicious or you know, a place of negligence, he started to be easier on himself and he forgave himself and was able to now allow his business to thrive. So when those things hang over you, you get paralyzed, you can't move forward. So we have to go back and really understand what happened, why they happen and help clients create a different story around what happened. Yes. Oh, that's so powerful. And that makes so much sense. And I see this, you know, in working with the women at my gym for the last 13 years, I really see the power of the stories, the way we perceive our stories and interpret our stories and carry them for so long and how that impacts the way we talk to ourselves and the way we empower ourselves or don't. So yeah, I think it's really important to go back and revisit those things and find a new way to reference that experience. I think that makes so much sense. So you work with people for 10 weeks. I'm sure you work with people longer than 10 weeks as well. But no, it so, is it so I work, yeah, I work with them for six months, okay. a minimum. It's those initial 10 weeks that are so okay. intense. After the 10 weeks, it loosens up, it gets easier, we back it up. But those 10 weeks allow us to really, really know our clients. Okay. And 10 weeks, it's 10 weeks of daily contact with the journaling. 10 weeks of daily contact, wow. and then it backs up. And okay. then they journal as much as they want, but then our calls slow down to once every two weeks. Okay. Oh, that's so cool. So tell me a little bit about the, how did you get to the journaling piece? Because journaling, I feel like it's becoming so mainstream and there's so many different ways of journaling. And I was actually just learning about bullet journaling recently. And I feel like there's so much power in it for so many people. So how did that become such a, a large piece of what you do and such a kind of a cornerstone of your work? So I'll tell you the honest truth. I've always been a journaler ever since I was a kid. But when I decided to start my coaching company, I had a whole bunch of my own fears and doubts. And one of the fears was that I would be a coach with no impact. Like that was my greatest fear. I don't want to be a coach who's, you know, not making a difference in people's lives. So how do I deal with that? And I had other fears, like what the heck do we talk about for a whole hour? And I had other <laughs> fears, like, 
you know, what if they ask me business questions or at the beginning I was coaching a lot of real estate people. What if they ask me real estate questions and I don't know the answers? I don't want to talk about that stuff. And so I thought, like, I really want to make a massive difference in their lives. And I really want to get to the things that matter, the things that are in their hearts, the things that are in their brains that they never say out loud. I want to get to that stuff. And if I could get to that stuff, then I can make a massive difference. And so at the beginning, really, journaling was a way to increase my confidence and comfort as a coach. Okay, that makes so much uh, sense. Right. And I thought, you know what, if I could get into their brains, then every single call will be magical and powerful, because I'll be talking about what seriously matters to them. But I didn't realize that there were a whole bunch of other benefits associated with journaling and coaching. One benefit is that when a person journals, they make progress. When a person can see their progress from week one to week 10, let's say, you know, and it's in their own writing, they go, oh, my God, I can't believe I was that same person 10 weeks ago. When they can express themselves daily and there's someone on the other side to read and respond and catch them, you're building an extra special relationship with that client. And it's the relationship that allows the client to really move a great distance when they feel like they're in great hands. So there's all kinds of things at play here. And, you know, of course, the one most important thing is that as a coach, when I can collect a series of data about my clients, then I really know them. And only when I am able to really know them, can I truly be effective in coaching them. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I would imagine the intimacy of the relationship is just so different and so much more significant when you have that consistent contact and things are in writing and there's something different about, well, there's the process, the writing process is one piece that's significant where you're sitting down pen to paper, writing things out or on your computer, but like you're taking the time to put them into words versus just talking But I also think that that paper trail does, like you said, it allows you to see change over time. And that is, I think, such a huge learning experience and learning curve for as we work through, like you said, working through retelling our stories and everything. So that's really awesome. I love that. I was on your website and I was excited about all these things that you do. And I love the different spin that you put on coaching, that you really make it something that is sounds more intense, but more powerful because of the intensity. And then I saw that you also have a podcast. So you have to tell us about your podcast because it looks fascinating. So it's called Resilience Radio, correct? It's called Resilience Radio, Crushing the Tough Stuff. Nice. Um, (laughs) I try to put on my radio voice there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what's happened with me is two things. One is I've been on many, many podcasts and I've found that some podcast hosts are amazing. Like you've done a lot of homework. A lot of them don't. And so I'm, I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> Thank you. And so that's number one. Number two is I also have come across many, many interesting stories that I think have tremendous value for people who are listening. And so really, I'm interested in the subject of emotional resilience. How do people handle it when things get hard? Mm -hmm. What is the thinking that pulls them through? And so the intention of this particular podcast is to capture really incredible stories of individuals who have lived through very difficult moments and to really examine what was it in their thinking that allowed them to get to the other 
the other side of that adversity. Yeah. And I can tell your topics are all like, I think there was the six episodes or so that I looked at and I was like, oh my gosh, every single one of these, I was like, I have to hear this story. They're really great stories, but they're stories of like where you read the title and you're like, I have to know how that person got through that experience because they all yeah. just were like major life experiences. And there are some that honestly make your hair stand up. Like there's one story called, so life sucks, get over it. That's the title. Because the gentleman I interviewed, his name is Ron Hirak, he wrote a book called So Life Sucks, Get Over It. And his story is incredible. And I'll just really tell you very shortly what it is. At the age of 14, you know, he was kind of abused at home. So he decided to run away. And he lived at 14 years of age, homeless on the streets. And all of it that comes with being homeless at the age of 14 and surviving on the streets. And so he's telling the story of what happened how it happened, what his thinking was, and what the things that took place in his life to help him get to the other side. It's honestly, you could listen to it and cry, you could listen to it and get goosebumps. It's just an incredible story. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. So I'll make sure that I link to your podcast in our show notes over here at shamelessmom.com. And people can go to episode 68 to find that link. Because yeah, all the stories, like I said, I have to get them into my phone in iTunes so that I can start listening in my car. It's, they're great stories. So tell us in what ways you are a shameless mom. I do funny things with my kids. And I have no problem with that. <laughs> Um, you know, my kids are teenagers, they're adults, they're young adults. I shamelessly do have family drink night with my kids. Sometimes <laughs> I keep them close to home. I encourage them to do what they love instead of do what is expected. Right. I just, you know, I think I'm a very different type of mom in my philosophy. And I think the world has changed and there's no one right path for everyone. And so I really strongly encourage my children to follow their path instead of the path that's expected of them. And from that standpoint, I shamelessly promote that. That's so fantastic. And I also think that's courageous because I think it's easy to prescribe to your child like traditional path that tends to historically lead to success. So I think that it's really great and somewhat brave to say like, I want you to go do what makes you happy. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like go get a four year degree and then get into the corporate world and like do all these things that our parents, I mean, like that's what most people I know were raised and taught. And that was kind of the direction they were guided. And for some people that worked out great for some people, it didn't work out great. Like that's just not in everyone's makeup at all. School's not for everyone. No, no. And parents have a hard time kind of getting to that place. Right. All right. So last question, describe the legacy you're building and how does being shameless play into your legacy? The legacy I'm building is really that whole piece about managing the self and modeling that as often as I can. And that might be modeling by choosing a career that I love. It might be modeling by doing things that are not traditional. It might be modeling by uh, demonstrating, you know, a little quiet or self-control when things are out of control in the house. It may be by doing some eccentric things, like, for example, going for a Korean massage, which all my family thinks is nuts. <laughs> uh, you lie down naked on a table and they oh scrub you down. Yeah. Oh, my so, gosh. And it's really being who I am and not being afraid of that. That's at the end of the day. That's the legacy. And to pass it down and encourage my children to be who they are. 
I love that. I love that. Well, Kim, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I so appreciate it. And if you ever have anything else you want to come back and share with us, and you are wise and your breadth of knowledge and your scope of your work is really amazing. So I would love to, if you have new things in the pipeline, come back. I would love to have you share with us at any time. So thanks for spending time with us today. And we will talk to you soon. Awesome. I hope you learned as much as I did from Kim. I learned so much. Of course, I loved hearing about her family, hearing about people's family makeup and how they balance and juggle and figure all that out is so meaningful to me. And that's, you know, it's all part of our story, which I think is so significant. So I loved hearing how Kim and her husband have built their family in the last eight years together and what has worked for them. So I'm so appreciative that she shared that advice. Also, I loved what Kim had to say about going back and rewriting our stories. I also loved what she said about journaling. Oh, this is like an ongoing struggle for me. I want to be a better journaler. I love writing. I just am bad at making time for it. So I feel like I keep getting hit over the head with like more and more prompts that like you need to be writing more. And this was just another one. So I'm saying it out loud again. I'm going to make more of an effort to be a better journaler or not a better one, but a more consistent one. And then lastly, I wanted to invite you all. Kim actually sent me the link and I'm going to post it in the show notes over at shamelessmom.com for everyone. So go to episode 68. Kim sent me the link to her site where you can go and get a free assessment. And this assessment will help you see what's keeping you stuck in life if you're stuck in a certain area of your life. It will also be informative in terms of how and if coaching might help you move past it. So you fill out this needs assessment on her website. And then from there, you can go ahead and she'll connect you with one of her coaches from that point. So there's no obligation or anything to fill it out, but it just is a good thing to kind of get your juices flowing and kind of see if maybe working with a coach would be a reasonable, appropriate thing for you. Maybe it's not, and it would help you see that too. But if you're just feeling stuck in some area of your life, I know as moms, it can be so easy to get in places where we feel like certain areas of our lives can't move forward because we just get consumed with like mom stuff and family manager stuff and just the day to day. So I highly encourage you to go do that assessment over on Kim's website. So make sure you you hop on over to the show notes to get linked up to that. So thank you for listening. As always, if this is your first time listening, know that we do release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So you can go over to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, and that will take you right into iTunes where you can hit the subscribe button so that you can get all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. And then you can also leave a review while you're there. So if this episode was meaningful to you, please do leave a review. And in the review, you can say that you loved the episode with Kim Addis, Frame of Mind Coaching and let me know what you loved and how it was impactful to you. So I look forward to getting your feedback. And then also, whatever you do today, make sure that you take some of this podcast, take like one little tagline from it, hold it with you, hold it near and dear, and let that stay with you all day. And then no matter what you do with this information, no matter how you move forward in your day, make sure you do it shamelessly. Everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was 
steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.